Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Check, check. We good? Forgive the subliminal Starbucks advertising there. Check, check. All right, cool. Well, again, uh, yeah, my name's Ben, and my lovely wife, Olivia, and I are the pastoral coordinators of worship here uh, at VCDC. We've been coming here for about five years now with our sons, Gabe, Luke, and Asher, who are 17, 15, and 10, and we just love you all. We're honored that this is our home church, and uh, I'm honored to, uh, to be speaking today. And I know that we've really been enjoying this sermon series on Joseph. I've heard from a lot of you that it's been good for us, and I agree. Uh, we're in such a period of uncertainty that it's great to be reminded that kingdom resilience, true kingdom resilience, is just taking one more step with God, just one. And we don't necessarily need to know the outcomes. We don't necessarily need to know how God's going to take us from point A to point B, or even have the next two or three steps planned out. We just need to take one more step with God. And we've learned that that can sometimes, and often, often is, uh, an uncomfortable step. It can be an uncomfortable step, but that's okay because we're taking it with him. And I don't know about you, but I've always loved the story of Joseph. I've taken comfort in it because it seems like my life kind of operates on a Joseph wavelength. So what I mean by that is this. If you imagine a life as a wavelength, ups and downs, this would be a lot of people. And then this would be Joseph. Super high highs and super low lows. And uh, sometimes I feel like my life goes that way. You may feel that way as well. Uh, We all have happiness and sadness and joy and suffering. We all have those things. But for some of us, and for what reason, I don't know why, some of us feel like we're the so-and-so and and the you'll never believe what happened to so-and-so stories. Uh, I can tell you that in our family, it seems like we have one every year or two. And you may feel like you have them as well. I'm sure in this period of uncertainty and with COVID, we probably all have more stories than we wanted to have. Uh, but let me tell you a couple about, uh, about our family. So I'm sure Olivia has shared from the pulpit uh, a lot of the health trauma that she had. She had a series of lung collapses uh, and eventual surgeries and hysterectomies. Uh, well, only one hysterectomy. Uh, as, a result, as a result of, uh, of a, a uterine hemorrhage that she had with our 10-year-old. And uh, it's funny now, so I'll tell it now. It wasn't funny then, but I love to tell the story. So she has Asher and her abdomen's hurting. Asher's over in a little, if you've had a baby at the hospital, they just put him in like a bin, like a tote. Uh, and so he's, he's in the bin. And Olivia says, oh, something's hurting. Something, my abdomen's hurting. And the doctors ask the stereotypical, well, what's your pain level? One to 10. And if you know Olivia, just imagine her saying this. Sweet as sugar, she says, oh, probably about a 10. And then she crashes. She crashes. Her, her blood pressure goes through the floor. Uh, they have to atropine her heart and give her a blood transfusion. I mean, we almost lose her. And I'm just standing there just, just in shock, just in shock. It was a, you'll never believe what happened. And many of you maybe have heard me tell my story where uh, recently I was on a construction site and I, I stepped the wrong way and, and uh, kind of twist my ankle and I tear every tendon and ligament in my ankle, which you think would be a good enough, you'll never believe it. But then a few weeks later, that results in um, blood clots, a series of blood clots that went to my lungs. And... Uh, and so one evening in the hospital, I was there for a few days, but, but the doctors don't necessarily think I'm going to make it. And so I'm calling my friends saying, hey, can you help Olivia with life insurance? I had a business partner. Can you help spin down this business? It doesn't look like I'm going to make it. That is a weird experience to plan for your own death uh, hastily. It was a you'll never believe it kind of story. 
And we all have those. We all have these types of stories. Uh, we've all got high highs and low lows. For some of us, they come right after one another. And the story of Joseph is the same way. That's why it's so good for us. We've all got this drama, and so does the story of Joseph, and we've covered a lot of those things. So the sermon series started out with Andrew talking about how Joseph's family was a mess. It was just a mess. It was jealousy and bitterness and favoritism, and it was just a disaster of a family. And a lot of us can relate to that. Then Michael, uh, then lovely Olivia covered temptation and integrity. She did a great job, if I say so myself. Uh, and then it was, uh, it was back to, I believe, Michael was talking about how Joseph was never alone and never forgotten by God, even though he was forgotten by men. And then Andrew covered uh, Joseph's leadership and how even though he was second in command under Pharaoh, he was constantly looking to God, always looking to God. And then over the last couple weeks, Michael and Heather kind of tag teamed. So Michael talked about guilt and forgiveness and reconciliation. And then Heather kind of brought it home with the reconciliation of the whole family, with Jacob back on the scene, uh, the reunion of the family. And Heather was showing us how, how God was working all those events in Joseph's life together for his good. And how God's promised to do that for us in Romans 8, 28. So this weekend, we're, we're wrapping the series. That's the last one. And the teachings have been so helpful, in my opinion, on this, on this subject, on, on Joseph's life, that I could just take a few minutes and just recap them all. And that'd probably be a pretty good use of time. But I feel like there's a few things that happened in the last three chapters of Genesis that we don't want to miss out on. So let me pray, and then we're just going to look at God's Word together. So Lord, I just, I thank you that you have something to say to each person here. And I'm humbled that I'm the person to, to bring the message. Lord, I just pray that I wouldn't say anything harmful or careless I just pray that you would speak through me, that you would work through me, and if necessary, in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to do a whole lot of reading, uh, and we're going to read a big chunk of Genesis 48. It'll be on the screens, uh, and I'm reading from the New Living, but feel free to read along. Here we go. One day, not long after this, word came to Joseph, your father is failing rapidly. So Joseph went to visit his father, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Joseph arrived, Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to see you. So Jacob gathered his strength and sat up in his bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a multitude of nations and I will give this land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now I am claiming as my own sons, these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. But any children born to you in the future will be your own, and they will inherit land within the territories of their brothers, brothers Ephraim and Manasseh. Long ago, as I was returning from Paddan Aram, Rachel died in the land of Canaan. We were still on the way some distance from Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So with great sorrow, I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath. Then Jacob looked over at the two boys. Are these your sons? He asked. Yes, Joseph told him. These are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, bring them closer to me so I can bless them. Jacob was half blind because of his age and could hardly see. So Joseph brought the boys close to him and Jacob kissed and embraced them. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again, but now God has let me see your children too. Joseph moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees and he bowed with his face to the ground. Then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. 
With his right hand, he directed Ephraim towards Jacob's left hand, and with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hands on the boy's heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham, I'm sorry, Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac. And may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. But Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted it to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. I know, my son, I know, he replied. Manasseh will also become a great people. But his younger brother will become even greater. And his descendants will become a multitude of nations. All right, that was nearly all of Genesis 48. So thanks for hanging in there. So to recap, Joseph has experienced these huge ups and huge downs in his life. But at this point, as far as we can tell, he's still the big potato. He's still second in command. He's the prime minister under Pharaoh. And it's been that way for some time now. His whole family now is in Egypt, his brothers and all their family and his dad, everybody's there. And they've been cared for and protected for 17 years now. Now Joseph's father, Jacob, is very old. And on top of that, he's sick. So there's not much time left. Now, Joseph didn't bring his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who are about 18 and 19 by now. He didn't bring them for a blessing because that isn't how that worked. They weren't, they weren't Jacob's sons. They were his grandsons. He just brought them to see their grandpa one more time before he dies. So this might be a scene some of us are familiar with. Maybe you brought your kids to see your folks one last time before they died, or, or maybe you were the kid getting to see your grandparent one, one last time. I remember as a kid, I'm sure my parents couldn't get in trouble now for it, but, but they snuck all of me and my siblings, all of us, into the hospital to see my grandpa before he died. And I remember distinctly my dad looking around the, the corner to look for nurses so we wouldn't get caught. So this was a situation like that, except without any sneaking. So Joseph and his boys just go to Jacob to say goodbye. But then Jacob does something super unexpected. He adopts Joseph's sons. Now, in ancient Hebrew culture, this wasn't entirely traditional, and what really happened in, in ancient Hebrew culture, what was most common was the firstborn received this double portion blessing. He received a double portion of the inheritance. Unless they did something to get in big trouble, which Reuben, who was Jacob's firstborn, did. Reuben actually slept with one of Jacob's concubines. To put it differently, he slept with the mom of a couple of his slep, uh, stepbrothers. So big trouble for Reuben. So, so what Jacob did was he took that double portion and he split it and he gave a half or gave a, a piece each to Ephraim and Manasseh. But why? Why not just, why not just take the double portion and, and give it to the next son down the line? Even though Jacob didn't think very highly of Simeon and Levi, those were his next two boys. They did, did some stuff to get in trouble too. But scholars have written lots of books on the concept that the, the blessing and the way that it happened, the double portion getting split and given to Ephraim and Manasseh, all of that had to do with, with God setting up the eventual 12 territories of Israel. See in this slide here, we have the original 12 brothers, on the left, the 12 sons, and then eventually, so you would say the guys on the left are the first 12 tribes, but the eventual tribes, the eventual territories of Israel are on the right. And you see that Joseph is swapped out for Ephraim and Manasseh, and then because the Levites were dedicated as priests, they didn't receive a land allotment, so 
that's how we end up with the eventual, the eventual 12 territories or tribes. So the point here is that, that Jacob is speaking prophetically here in blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, not only in establishing the future 12 tribes of Israel, but in also in how he blesses Joseph's sons. And he breaks convention again here too, because he puts the younger son ahead of the older one, which is another Hebrew cultural taboo. Now, Jacob did have some experience with this. You might remember it was Jacob who tricked his own father into thinking he was the older son Esau in order to get the firstborn blessing. And when Jacob tricked his father Isaac, he was old. Isaac was old and could hardly see. Now Jacob is old and can hardly see. And again, scholars have written lots of material on the ironies in this scenario and how Jacob is prophetically setting up the groundwork for these families to 400 years later leave Egypt and settle throughout the land as the, as the 12 tribes of Israel. Then in chapter 49, we're not going to read that one word for word like we did with 48, but, but basically Jacob is blessing each of his sons and prophesying, them, prophesying over them one by one. And he even sets the stage that these aren't going to be normal blessings. These are going to be very prophetic blessings because he says to his sons, gather around me and I will tell you what will happen to each of you in the days to come. So Jacob prophesies over each one of his sons in, in, uh, throughout chapter 49. Some get a rebuke, like Reuben and Simeon and Levi. And others are praised, like Judah. And towards the end, you guessed it, Joseph, the favorite son, gets a big blessing. And Jacob even prophetically foreshadows the coming of Jesus through the family line of Judah. See how Jacob prophesies over Judah in 49, verse 8 through 10. He says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. So Jesus is the lion of Judah. That's where this nickname first appears. But it isn't the last. See Revelation 5, 5. But one of the 24 elders says to me, said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. So again, these aren't just blessings that Jacob's giving his son. They're very prophetic blessings. And they're not just for his son's lives. It's for many generations beyond them. And at the end of, of Genesis chapter 49, at, after he prophesies over all of his boys, he makes them promise him, that they'll bury his body at the same cave where his grandparents, Abraham and Sarah, and his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, and his first wife, Leah, are buried, a cave in Canaan. And then right after that, Jacob dies. So in Genesis chapter 50, everybody is mourning Jacob's death. Even the Egyptians are mourning. So Joseph asked Pharaoh, hey, can I go bury my, uh, bury my dad, go with my brothers? And Pharaoh not only says, yeah, you can go, but it says... Joseph was sent with all of Pharaoh's officials, all the senior members of Pharaoh's household, and all the senior officers of Egypt. They all went to mourn on Joseph's behalf. It was quite a spectacle. In fact, it was such a spectacle that when they got near in the land of Canaan next to the Jordan River, the Canaanites looked over at them and saw the mourning, and they renamed the place the place where the Egyptians mourn. So it must have been a real spectacle. So let me shift gears here. I'm sure that you can imagine in preparing for this sermon, there's no shortage of commentary on all the events in Joseph's life, on all the ups and all the downs. And that's how Heather said it last week, that, that God was working all things together for Joseph's good. How good things and bad things kept coming in waves 
And this is another case. The, the high high of being blessed and all these prophetic blessings taking place, followed by the low low of Jacob's death. So yet another series of waves. But as I prepare for this sermon, I started to wonder, well, why? Why so much time on Joseph's life story? Is there anything else that's playing out here? Is there something else we're supposed to take away from, from all these, you know, we, there's great sermons, we know that. It's been a great sermon series. But why? Why so much detail? There had to be something else playing out here. Consider this. From the creation of the known universe to the great flood, five chapters in Genesis are taken. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have loved a whole lot more content right there. I've had so many conversations around the, you know, the creation and the effect of, of sin on creation and had so many questions around the atmosphere before and after the flood. I could have used 10 times the content, but instead, that chunk of Genesis is one-tenth. One-tenth of Genesis dedicated to those things. Then from the flood to the Tower of Babel, you get six chapters or 12%. Then if you put Abraham and Lot together, so Abraham and Sarah trying to have a baby, Lot, Sodom, and Gomorrah, all that stuff, all of it together, 10 chapters or 20%. Isaac only gets four chapters or 8%. Jacob and all the recorded events of his other sons prior to Joseph coming on the scene get 11 chapters or 22%. Then Joseph gets the largest portion. Joseph gets 14 chapters, 28%. And I've heard, I've heard folks say, well, you know, Genesis, you know, the, the earlier you go back in Genesis, the less is documented. And, you know, as we get closer to, to current times, we see more stuff documented. But that kind of breaks down because we see a lot for Abraham and Lot, very little for Isaac, and then we're back to a lot for Jacob. So that doesn't work. Here's what I think it is. Author Eric Raymond says it really well when he says this. When we collect the details of Joseph's life, we see a glorious reflection that closely mirrors another life we're so intimately familiar with, Jesus. This is not because Joseph was Jesus' favorite Bible hero he wanted to emulate. It is because God is sovereign, and he's been laying the tracks for the glory of Christ throughout redemptive history. So that's the punchline, Jesus. That's the answer, Jesus. That's why Joseph's life's been more detailed in Genesis than any other character. Look at some of these similarities, and there's, these are just a few. Scholars think there's many, as many as a hundred, but I'm just going to burn through a lot of them. He's the object of his father's special love. He foretold of his future exalted position as king. He was hated for telling the truth and prophesying. He was mocked by his family. He was persecuted out of jealousy. He was plotted against by his own brethren. He was sold for pieces of silver. Remember, Judah was the person who had the idea, let's not kill Joseph, let's sell him. So he sold him for pieces of silver. Judah in Greek is Judas, who sold Jesus out for pieces of silver. He was stripped of his robe. He was delivered up to the Gentiles. He was falsely accused, but he was faithful amid temptation. He was thrown into prison. He stood before rulers. Although not guilty, he was sentenced with two criminals, the cupbearer and the baker. One was saved and one lost. Just as the men who hung on either side of Jesus on the cross, one saved and one lost. He saves his rebellious brothers from death when they realize who he is. Joseph was given the seal ring for seven years of abundance before seven years of famine and death. In Revelation, Jesus breaks the seven seals that cause famine and death. He suffered according to the predetermined plan of God. He is exalted after and through humiliation. He is the only source of bread. People must bow their knee before him. He is the instrument God uses at the hands of the Gentiles to bless his people. 
and he welcomes Gentiles to be part of his family. He marries a Gentile bride. The church is Jesus' Gentile bride. So it's possible that what we're seeing as Jacob adopts Ephraim and Manasseh, these two half-Egyptian boys, it could be the foreshadowing of God adopting us into his family and calling us his sons and daughters. So Jesus is the answer here. For the whole sermon series, for every sermon series, for every Old Testament account that prophesies is coming like the life of Joseph, for every situation in our lives, for all the drama in our lives, for all the high highs and all the low lows, for the coronavirus, for the election, the answer. Just as Joseph took one more step with God, that's what we're to do. We take one more step with him. We make Jesus the Lord of our life and we take one more step. So Jesus is the punchline. Jesus is the answer. And if we walk away with one thing to remember, that's the thing. That's the thing. But there's one more thing that happens in Genesis 50 that I want to look at. Let's take a look at verses 14 through 21. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You can see right there, that's another comparison, saving the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Now, we could look at this scenario from a number of different angles, but I feel like God put it on my heart this weekend that this is kind of how some of us have come to Jesus. We've received his forgiveness, but we've put an, in an invisible condition on it. Just like Joseph's brothers put this invisible condition that Jacob had to be alive. And as soon as Jacob died, then condition's over. Joseph's going to want revenge. And a lot of us have kind of received Jesus' forgiveness that way in our hearts, at least where we receive the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. That we've done, but we feel like there's some strings attached. We feel like there's an invisible condition underneath it. And I struggle with this. I'll just be honest with you. I prayed with a lot of you. I'll, I will pray with a lot of you. And I can tell you with 100% confidence that Jesus can forgive any sin that you've committed, anything. But I struggle with that for myself. I struggle with that for me. But here's the truth. And I just want to encourage us in this. That feeling that someone's got to pay, that someone's got to pay, you've got to pay for the wrongs that you've done, that's an accurate statement. That's actually true. That's a God-given feeling. When you feel that feeling, you have tapped into the justice of the God of the universe. So my answer to you is, yup, someone does have to pay. You are correct. You are accurate in feeling that way. However, since something had to be paid for those sins, God sent sinless Jesus to the cross to die for you and pay those sins. Pay the price for those sins. So justice has indeed been served. Forgiveness has been given with no strings attached. And so sometimes 
I feel like a good way to be comforted in that space is that last piece, verse 21, where it says, so he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Let's let the Lord speak kindly to us and remind us, reassure us, no strings. So we're going to go into a period of worship now. We're going to reflect and respond on what God might be putting on our hearts today. And I'm just going to ask that as we worship, since worship is kind of my jam, I'm just going to ask, let's just have really soft hearts. Let's just have really open ears for what the Lord might be saying. So we're going to sing a couple more songs, and then we'll have a period of ministry time after that. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.